Uh, scripture readings are on page five, um, and they are three from Genesis. Uh, and so I'll start with Genesis 1, there's in Genesis 1 and 2 and in 3, instead of making me read um, three chapters, thank you, Pastor Howard, for just breaking out a few. Uh, so here you go. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and of the birds of the air and over the livestock, over all the earth and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. When the man saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, uh, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. This is the word of the Lord. Happy New Year to you guys that I didn't uh, get to say that to um, last week. And... um, I'm feeling kind of out of place a little bit today. It's just been a kind of getting the rhythm again. You know how Christmas does you. Um, you kind of forget your job um, for a while. You know, your, your boss can't get any work out you the first day back after Christmas. Everybody know that. The last, the day before going home for Christmas and the day back, you don't get anything done. Um, anyway, why care? In the uh, movie, Menace to Society, if any of you saw it, the grandfather of this young guy caught up in a world of gang-banging and crime, ask him this question. Son, do you care whether you live or die? And the answer is kind of ominous. This young man just kind of looks around, and he answers, I don't know. I don't know. I think we go about in our daily lives and we must ask ourselves as humans on earth an equally baffling question, why care? Why care for this world, its basic ecology and its people? Why love it? Why care if it's ugly or beautiful or just or merciful or, or worth living here? Why care? And I believe most of us, Christian or not, would answer... I don't know. One of our vision items here at Christ Central Church is redemption of all creation, which is, which is caring for our world, caring for our communities, caring for our families and our city and its people. Why do we care? What's the answer to this question? The late great comedian Richard Pryor, never mind some of his language for a minute, 
The man was a social genius, as most good comedians are. And he uh, said that he learned that the first man on earth was a black man. And so he was making a deal about this. And um, science is kind of, no, I better not go there. And so he, he, <laughs> he finds this out and he said, he could imagine the first man on earth being this brother. And he says, he looks around in his garden, he wonders, he's the first one to ask the question, what in the world am I doing here? And so we, where should we begin to answer this question, why care? Of course, the beginning, Genesis. Why care? Because this is your home. This is where you live life. Look with me at Genesis uh, 2, verse 17 and 15. Verse 7 and 15. It says here that the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Then it says in verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. And so you have... God creating human beings and, and, and putting them on earth and deciding this is where they are going to live. You know, when you are born, it is almost like you're, you're going to some sort of uh, a temporary housing, some sort of halfway house. And, and when you're born here, God kind of just shows you your bunk, where you should, where your place is. It gives you your environment. And, and barring any kind of belief in, in some sort of karma-driven uh, reincarnation, you live here on earth where you are and who you are born to circuit to circumstances that are beyond your control or determination. Which means regardless of who you are and where you are and who lives around you, you, we, this is so profound, you and we, we live here. Albeit I don't know how long you're going to stay or how I'm going to stay. But you are human, and as human beings, this is your home. I remember we first had Harrison. Um, for those of you who've had children, that first child, man, you're looking at all the guides. You're going to Babies Are Us. You're, you, you know, you, you've got a list of 225 things you need um, in order for this baby to live, in order for him to make it. And so we go to our pediatrician we're like, what kind of bassinet should we get? And if we get a bassinet, should we get a crib too? And, and, and then, you know, does the crib, how many inches should the poles be? Oh, we were just completely overwhelmed about how our boy's going to live in this world. And, 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 and she said, you know, some people who can't afford a bassinet put the baby in a laundry basket. And they live here. And they grow up. And, they be, and they're okay. And so when we think about it, God tells us how we're going to live. He puts us in, his, in our environment. I don't know whether you are swinging in your life, metaphorically, swinging in a teakwood Eddie Bauer limited edition baby bassinet. And I don't know whether you're sleeping away in a Rubbermaid special edition with the one-inch holes, mind you, laundry carrier from Target. But it still stands where you are, 
whatever circumstance you're born into, whatever neighborhood you have, you're in. You live here or there. Not only do we have live, this is our home and we live here, we actually share a room. Um, let's look at Genesis 1, uh, 28. And it, and it says here, um, God bless them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and, and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and, and over every living creature that moves along the ground. Then in chapter 2, verse 18, he says, The, the Lord God said, It is not good. For man to be alone, I will make a helper for him. And then in verses 21 and 23, So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with the flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from from the rib he had taken out of the man. And he brought her to the man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. I begin to think about it. Strange thought. So think about it. We're here on earth and it's like we all share a room. Most of my life, I have shared a room. Starting with Joel and Terrence. And then ending with Kelly, the best roommate I've ever had in my life. I don't want no other roommate. I like that roommate. But then you got all the in-between roommates in college and seminary. I have shared more than I've had to myself. You know, whether we live alone in the conventional sense of it, we all share a room metaphorically. No one here born or lives without sharing space. We are all born in a complex or not so complex series of relationships. We're in households. We're in friendships. We're in neighborhoods. We're in all kind of associations and, and we're in nations with national borders and in the widest space planet, in the widest space, planet Earth itself. And in the home that Earth is, we all have and have had roommates. Now, it might, might be best to call it space mates, but, but we are connected formally and, and sometimes informally to, to share life stages with people as we journey in our lives. This is how we live here. We share a room. Right now, it, it's just a temporary situation this morning from, from 10 to whenever, but we kind of share in a room. You're not alone. If you go to work, your roommate is the person you are in the office with. If you uh, live in this city, in a broader sense, your roommate are the people in Charlotte driving next to you. This is our home. That's why we care. And for many of us who have shared a room or house or apartment or neighborhood, or whatever, we realize one thing. We can make it beautiful together, and we can make it dirty together. Many of you know how this story in Genesis ends up. 
God tells them together to go and make the earth beautiful with their creativity and management and ecology skills to, to, to be the, the first and best tree huggers in the world and, and to make it more beautiful only as a community can, only as people sharing a space can. And more intimately speaking, between Adam and Eve, um, um, go make more of yourselves and care for it. Yes, care for the earth. And so Adam names the animals and maybe when Eve came along, she helped them name some too. And they were so beautiful and so beautiful together and they made each other more beautiful in such a beautiful place. And it's true even now to a lesser but no less true or real degree. We care because we're captivated and compelled by the beauty of this world, the wonder and glory of people, the awesome vortex, if you will, this, this sucking relationship of community that brings us in and, and we're all kind of joined together. We, our light and our human energy is joined together and we kind of get this incredible God-created supernova of people and personalities and culture with food and music and dance and ideas and engineering we care because it's pretty beautiful pretty wonderful and while we have ample reasons to be drawn to care for our world we fall short you see Adam and Eve in in, in disobeying and eating the fruit they forsook the beauty and relational paradise they had with God and themselves and, and the earth by eating from one tr- the one tree God tells them not to. And so they fall. They sin. They, they are psychosomatically transformed. They are pneumosomatically. I made that word up. Pneumosomatically, which is a spiritual connected with the physical. It, the, in other words, ugly becomes a permanent Part of their makeup. Sin is infused. Sin becomes a virus in them and and, and the world and it makes the good and the beautiful tainted. And so human beings, the same ones that make this world beautiful together and, and enjoy it, become detrimental together. They now make the world beautiful like a factory on a river. See, we're always together on this earth, caring and and trying to do better and creating civilization and, 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 and involved in our relationships and going to school and going to work. But again, it is, it is almost like we're, we're this manufacturing plant. And, and some, because we're sin-filled, because we are fallen, there's waste, there's deprivation, there's this, this all kind of things in it, 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 it pollutes the world. Yes, we're putting out a good product. Yes, it's beautiful. Maybe we're producing cars. Oh, it's a wonderful thing. But there's pollution going up in the air. Together, we're this big factory of beauty and exhaust. And we see the the, the propensity and potential in how you and I, Adam and Eve's descendants, act and live and treat the earth and each other, and now what our room and home looks like. It is a mess. Beautiful and messy by everybody, 
for everybody. In other words, there is no such thing as a solitary commitment of sin. Our sin affects everybody like a dirty room we all live in. People and things get out of place. Stuff gets more important than people. People get lost in the mess. Begin to think more about our ghettos and whatever city you live in. There's always that community across the tracks. Maybe you live in it. Okay? But you ever think about it, and I've said this before, that the ghetto is simply the place civically where the waste of a city's greed and lack of care is backed up and deposited. We look at the ghetto like, man, I'm ghetto for women. Get themselves together. Don't you know the ghettos, it's not the ghettos problem alone. It is their problems combined with the demand by outsiders for the people who live in that part of town to bear the weight of years of civic trash dumped on its back. Now it must bear its sins and the sins of the people who want to be clean around it and over it. Let's wake up. We live here, we share a room, we make it beautiful and dirty together. When there's a murder in our city, we should weep. We should hurt. It should be painful to us. We shouldn't, we shouldn't separate ourselves from this whole mass of city crime. What's our part in it? When when there's injustice, it is not one person's problem. It is our problem. The homeless man's not only his problem, it's our problem. Our public schools, it's not their problem, it's our problem. You live here. You share a room. We should care for its beauty and be ready to, to, to help clean up the mess that we've helped make. Yes, I believe in individual responsibility and culpability. And if you did the crime, you should do the time. You should take the penalty. But in many ways, we must see that our roommate has choked on a small object we forgot to clean up. No, they shouldn't have put it in their mouth, but we left it there. So clean up our mess and help each other in a junky place. That's what we're called to do. So we care. We vote. We give. We beautify. We love. We pay our taxes. We clean up our room. And sometimes it means that you are not free unless someone else cleans and and, and that they are not free until you clean up your mess. We care because here on earth, In our communities, in our families, in our neighborhoods, whatever your relationship is, we can't live without caring. We'll actually die in our mess if we don't. I remember how much easier it was to clean up the room. Mind you, maybe I was the one who made it mess. When me and Joel and Terrence, we used to live in one room together. Because Mama said, we all only going to mess up one room. Y'all be in there together. Boy, we had some fusses and fights. It was like planet Earth a little bit. And uh, we're in that room, and one person would be more messy than the other. But man, when you get in there and start cleaning it together, whoo, it just helped. 
Even if it was your mess, it, it, it was it was a communal caring for the place we lived. It was caring for the other person in the room. You know, if someone couldn't find the G.I. Joe man, the best thing we could do is help clean up so they can get the G.I. Joe man. I remember that feeling after it was clean, too. You just, that seemed, room seemed so much bigger. We had a little room. But it was real small when it got dirty, wasn't it? You just kind of have to walk through everything on the ground, stuff not in the laundry basket. Those of you who have brothers and sisters know what I'm talking about. So we get in there and there was something about working together, but I remember how we could make a mess together too. Now there are a couple things when you're in seminary and they're kind of in your preaching class, there are a couple things you're not supposed to use in a sermon. Well, I'm going to break one of the rules today. Oh, yeah, you're not supposed to talk about, you know, I really have a problem. Um, pastor's not supposed to get up here and talk about, I really have a problem with money. Man, ooh, I see that, I see that offering basket. Ooh, it gets difficult. Not supposed to talk about that. <laughs> you're not supposed to talk about lust, sexual sin, that you're struggling with. Man, ooh, the women in this church, man, you're not supposed to do that. <laughs> and the third thing I'm going to talk about, you're not supposed to talk about bodily functions. But um, we shared a room. I'm a visionary. Y'all know that. I love church planting. I had a great vision for our community. The community of Terrence, Joel, and Howard in the Brown household. You know, in the middle of the night, you got to go to the bathroom. Um, and I said, man, I got a great idea. It was foolish. I just wanted to do something stupid. But look, I got a great idea, guys. Mama's got this Tupperware downstairs. See, you're not supposed to talk about that. Let's use that at night. We'll put the top on and put it on it every morning. We'll empty it. It was so much fun. We had our bathroom. And you know, like we really cared about getting out of bed. You know, you're so tired, Terrence. We can do it, Joel. This is the best way to go. No one to get hurt and it'll be all right. You know, I'm the ringleader, man. I'm telling you, I'm a visionary. No, I'm not planting a church like that. Be careful. I'm not. It's different. I've grown up, hopefully. Man, we used it for about three days. And we put it under the bed in the corner by the wall, and forgot about it for about two months. And my mama found it. Now, now here's the interesting thing. And it, uh, now, it's time to get serious, y'all. Let me reel it back in. Let me reel it back in. Here's the interesting thing that we can learn about our own sense of caring. The smell didn't register anymore with us. We, we got used to it. Um, the, 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 the morale in which started as a good hygiene practice fell off, if you will. Um, it stopped being fun or important. It got lost and it got covered by the rest of the growing mess in our room. But I quickly learned from mama's actions and response to the portalette that 
though this was our home, it was her house. What we failed to care about or allow to bother us anymore, she came in and cared for us. She came to clean us. We were dirty. We were nasty. We were dangerously dirty with this ammonia, something coming up. We were dangerous to each other. The mayor of the city of Joel, Terrence, and Howard was about to kill his people. Like my brothers and me, we all care, yes, because it's our home. But we must care more so because this is God's house. And like my mom, the Lord comprehends he he communicates care for each other in the earth and its resultant relationships in ways that you and i raise to us that are under the bed to us that we have forgotten that are not important but should be to us that are lost in the mess but taint the beauty that are harmless in our own eyes but but are detrimental to our humanity that are destructive to our sense of dignity. I mean, we were, me and my brothers, we were living like animals. And what the Lord has to do, like my mom does, did is come in and say, you have dignity. It must be restored. You've lost yourself. You've lost your way. You can't even see how bad things are. You don't even care anymore. It's so bad. Two things happened to Adam and Eve when they fell into sin and say it's sin ignorance we see here. The Bible says they took fig leaves and they hid. They, they, they covered themselves rather. And, and then when they heard God walking in the garden, the Bible says they hid themselves from him. And, and I, I began to look at this and I, I wondered, there's two ways of seeing this. They were covering their shame, number one, because they were ashamed. They were guilty for the sin they committed. And now they were hiding from God. But either way, they were seeking to cover their inadequacy and failure to care. Their shame and not caring rightly. They felt the weight of sin for the first time. They're dirty now. And their dirt is so strong in them and now outside of them because of broken relationship with God, they wanted to give up their calling. They wanted to run. They were bound in sin. They were too shameful in themselves to care. They were trapped in what I would describe as a sin depression in darkness. You know, they can't get up in the morning. They, they can't make it any better. They, they can't name the animals rightly. They can't love each other like they should. They can't be proactive in the things God's called them to do. I liken it to the depression of the ghetto. You know how your sin, the city sin, you're kind of feeling forgotten. It's all in the same place. And, and, and now you want to hide. You want to make sure you drive real fast by that area. Or you want to make stories up in your mind. Like, that's not my problem. Those folk deserve that. They didn't make the right decisions like I made. And we keep going through. News comes on. CMS public schools. I pay my taxes for these people's salary or whatever, but I'm sending my kids to private school. I don't care. I remember living in Baltimore, and, and it was, I got there, I was excited. 
We're going to change this neighborhood. Woo, yes. I grew up in the suburbs. It's going to look like my street back home in Charleston. Man, about six months in, mm -mm. I was depressed. There was was some truth to it. Kelly would say, I I don't want to come home this way from work. Because by the time I get to my front door, I'm through as a human being. My dignity is gone by the time I get home. Just by riding and seeing the mess. And and like Adam and Eve, you begin to feel the weight. And, And the weight isn't just everybody else's sin. The weight is, you know, maybe you should be doing something, but you completely feel inadequate. It's just too overwhelming. It's too messed up. It's too big. And so in the shame and weight of sin, it is most easy to be self beautifying, to cover your own shame, to run, to flee, to make your own stuff and self beautiful. And in doing so, make the broken relationship between God and his house and the people that live here worse. We don't vote, some of us, because it just doesn't matter. We don't listen to the other party. We don't really want to hear what those liberals or conservatives have to say. We seek to create a world for ourselves. We move away from mom and dad as far as we can go because of all the mess that happened at home, all the ways I thought they did wrong. And guess what? Now you can't care because a phone call is too far to reach in your shame, though they will not live much longer. Or look around here. Oh, I love Noda. It's great. This great kind of... Bohemian arts community is such a nice, cool place. But understand, don't be deceived that even here, there is a utopia created that that has in many ways become a haven for fugitives. You'll be surprised how this has become a place for those of us to run who can't care for or or face or or be loving in in bad or broken relationships a lot of people here are have run from broken relationships run from from marriages that have destroyed them run from hurtful situations run from a job run from caring for their families run from mom and dad again that didn't care for them run from a responsibility and here it is it, it kind of cleaned up community now we we're all here together and we understand each other and everybody's broken but it's still a fugitive i can't care for anything else outside of noda forget uptown they don't need any help i don't want to go over there it's the same thing or maybe we've left uh, and, and submitted to this kind of what i would describe as nihilistic ethnic ideologies okay in other words just it, okay i shouldn't have put that in there it was just came out. Um, it's all about being nothing. You know, you kind of, it's just such an overwhelming world, especially as a minority, as a, as a, as, as whatever that means, a woman, a, a African American, a Latino, or whatever. And you, you look at your world and you're like, man, forget it. I don't want to go to corporate America. I don't want to be with these folk. I don't want to be this. I, we live in a world where there's such shame and weight and sin that it is more, there is more comfort in being or looking like or thinking like a gangster or a criminal or a player. And, and, and it just seems that we get comfort there. Nobody wants to care anymore. They can only care for themselves. It's such shame. Or, or we use the city detergent. 
Y'all know the city detergent. You know the name brand. Gentrification. You know, high taxes can always clean a city. Or we use the fabric softener that goes with it. You've heard it too. Suburban sprawl. White flight. Got a new one too. Black abandonment. Or, you know, Christians, we make big churches with high invisible walls and inside it what? Church world. Oh, it's so great. We got a church nursery and a church gym and a church sports league. We even got church toilets. We, 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 we Christians can, can even be such a trip, but sometimes I mean, it is symptomatic of the same shame and guilt and weight that held Adam and Eve back from a world that they were called to subdue and go forward with dignity. I don't blame you, though. Run to your ghetto. Run to your city. Run to your fortress. Hide. Don't care. Because it's true. We can't clean everything up. Heck, we can't fix our own stuff. And we enter this kind of familiar cycle of shame, knowing what you could or should do, but you can't be motivated or empowered out of the mess and muck to do anything. And the longer you wait, the harder it gets to smell it or see it or feel it. It's just too overwhelming. I don't care because I can't care for my own sin and shame, much less to do what God has made me to do for this household. So I harden to not care or not care too much. I try not to cry over New Orleans or I cry for two days and I forget that it ever happened. Oh, man, I did not want to read the thing about the miners in West Virginia. It was too much. I didn't want to care. And then I was crazy enough to watch ABC interview the guy who owns the mine. Some billionaire with all these big stuff in New York City. Who is a described as a bottom feeder. He gets companies that are struggling and he builds them back up and then he sells them at a low price. And he's making plenty of money doing it. And he says, is this place unsafe? No, I don't think so. Not really. Well, it only has seven citations by the government. You know, whatever. But I don't want to care about all that. You know, I don't want to think that deep. It's too much problems, too many. And then I was crazy enough to watch a CNBC special at Walmart. Oh, my goodness. I like Walmart. Got everything I need. And you know, Christians love Walmart, too. They got the edited CDs. You can go get your... Puffy and everybody else get all the cussing albums, but they boop, 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 boop. Sometimes I get those things. I like listening to hip hop music. Sometimes I get the Walmart version. I have to. And, and, and you're like, what just happened? There was no talking for like two minutes. Um, I think about the young people in my neighborhood. I want them gone. Saw some guys shooting some guns the other day. I want them gone. I don't want to care for these overgrown children. I want the cops to get them. I want them to go to another ghetto. Never mind they look like me. And in some ways are me. I don't and can't care enough to care for them. Why should I care when I can't? Adam and Eve, like us, were not free to care, free to share an impossible burden. 
So what God does is he pursues them. I don't expect you to, I hope you don't, but I don't necessarily expect human beings to, because it's always some kind of fake thing. We're going to care. And it's all very selfishly motivated. It, it never beckons back to the things the Lord has really created. It's some, you know how it is. It's, sometimes it's patronizing. Um, sometimes it's just there to affirm things in us. But God has to pursue them. He has to get us to care. He, he covers them with animal skins. He covers their shame. He takes away the burden of their guilt. He takes away the weight and guilt of how they have not cared and forgives them. He renews their lost dignity, the lack of care they have. And, and, and how, I remember how it helped when mama came in and cleaned the room. Or when she gets you the new shoes or the new clothes. You kind of care for it better. Everybody know how it is when you get them new white shoes going to school. Don't touch my shoes, man. You in the bathroom at break time, wiping them off with the wet tissue. Come on. But there's something that we're motivated by the possibility of redemption, by renewal, by the power and ability to make it new and better. It's God's ability to open our eyes to how bad and smelly how it was. Why care? Because God offers and has given some of us here renewal in Jesus. You see, he lets Jesus give us a clean start by taking our dirt. This is strange, but Jesus becomes the mop for our household. He is the mama. He is the... God uses him as the world's maid, the redemptive maid for the earth. His blood is like the, the, the detergent, the, the broom, his body. I mean, he's even the Tupperware jar. He bore our sins. He bore incredibly offensive things on his very body. And when God smelled him, if you will, he was offensive. He did it so that like me and my crazy brothers, we can be renewed in our dignity. A dignity we've sold out. A dignity we've dirtied in our crazy and foolish, shameful ideas. He comes. Now we can begin in him to be renewed and lifted from shame and now free to love the world knowing what? This is God's house and Jesus is God's savior of us and thus the world. We only can care because of the assurance and forgiveness and presence of a God and savior who really makes things better. Pastor Giorgio said it and I've said it last week. Good really does happen. Jesus really does redeem God loves so much. Like my mom, he really does come in our world. He, Like God invaded Adam and Eve's world in our shame, in our pushing God away, in our pushing people away, in our pushing folk who need us away, in our pushing mom and dad away, in our pushing our brothers and sisters that, that we don't have good relationships with. You know we're not getting along and we push them away or we forget about them or we lie to ourselves. God actually sends his son in the middle of that stuff to Free you from the mess you've bound yourself up in. 
This is the love of God for a fallen world. And I don't expect you to care unless you see how much God has loved the world and cares for it in Jesus Christ. Man, I've tried cleaning my own room. Not now when I was little. Well, sometimes now. We never do it right. We always sweep a little bit under the carpet. Why do we care? Because Christ alone is truly powerful enough for us to say, Lord, I see the dirt. I see my shame. And I bring it to you. And I'm motivated by your power to clean your house in your time, in your way. Why care for this home? Because God and Jesus first takes care and promises to take care of us and it. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would invade us. Invade our world. Come into our room. (laughs) Show us what we can't see. Open our eyes to our sin. Let what is offensive to you be offensive to us. But Lord, don't motivate us as you're not. Don't allow us, rather, to be motivated by guilt or even shame. Motivate us by the freedom of a God who comes into the room of very messy and dirty people in a dirty world and truly makes them and it clean by his grace. Thank you, Lord, for delivering us from this shame so that we can care. We pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.